Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 277 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a former Chief Technical Officer for Microsoft US, where she worked with companies and organizations across industries and market segments to reframe their business opportunities in digital terms. She now advises startups and mentors young women and leaders on topics related to making the most of today's fast-changing, tech-infused world. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer Byrne. Thank you, Phil. I'm delighted to be here. Jennifer, that was really a sort of a whistle-stop view of your your recent career. Could you perhaps give us a little bit more behind that and and maybe give us an understanding of um, what you were doing with Microsoft and what you're doing now? I'd love to. I joined Microsoft in 2014 originally as the chief security officer for their worldwide public sector group. And uh, I joined in that capacity because for the approximately 20 years before that, I had been in the cybersecurity industry with companies like Intel, McAfee, Symantec, uh, a startup, uh, and in the way back in the very beginning in the late 90s, some uh, engineering firms uh, providing InfoSec services to government clients. So that had been the bulk of my career, came to Microsoft. Uh, at the time uh, when... Uh, it was extraordinarily important for big companies like Microsoft and AWS and Google to try to work uh, in a positive and a collaborative fashion with governments around the world to talk to them about the trust issues associated with the adoption of public cloud, particularly as a U.S. company. And um, and a lot of that conversation was around the cybersecurity risks involved with that kind of decision. So I joined and did a lot of policy and regulatory work in, um, in countries around the world and also uh, thought it was just a fascinating time to be a cybersecurity person at Microsoft because uh, for all of my professional life in IT, I had uh, shared the view that Windows was the favorite thing to hate or hack. Uh, But at some point, uh, and I think everybody in IT who's been in IT for a while knows that um, the attack um, world, the cyber crime world had gotten so sophisticated, it was very, very hard to to adequately secure an IT infrastructure if you weren't doing it from the inside out, actually working within the platform as opposed to just creating kind of a third party or aftermarket solution that you would place upon the platform in later stages of deployment. So I joined in 2014, Chief Security Officer. Um, That team morphed into a worldwide industry team, so took on some private industry as well as public sector. And and then I got a shot at being the CTO for the industry team. And that was a big pivot in my career because cybersecurity, although it's a complex topic, is kind of a narrow slice of tech. And uh, Microsoft has this gigantic portfolio of their technology that I wasn't super familiar with. And so it really caused me to think about what what is it to be a CTO? What does that mean? Um, And it's largely strategy and vision and the intersection of business and real world problems with technology and being able to straddle that, which is something that I had um, had some experience with. 
So I took over that role and uh, from that team moved into the U.S. division at Microsoft and was there for a couple of years. Uh, and, um, and I've always had this view in my career that, um, you know, do things for a couple of years, but I've had a, f- a fairly specific philosophy around how, um, how I should build my career. And so um, a couple of years into that role, um, I decided, you know what, I think it's time for me to move on. I'd been corporate America and the tech industry for 25 years. Uh, so I left Microsoft earlier this year and I'm uh, working on sort of the next phase of, of my personal career. So I'm in the midst of writing a book. I'm doing a lot of advising for startups, as you'd suggested in my bio and, um, and uh, working and mentoring leadership. I also have a couple of self projects that I'm working on, all related to skills and the future of work and what it looks like and how we help people uh, become more digitally empowered as opposed to digitally displaced in um, in a world that I think is going to be, you know, digitized completely and um, and even more so probably as a result of the pandemic. Sure. So obviously you mentioned that you have a sort of a philosophy around um, doing doing a role for a particular amount of time, for example, a couple of years, how do you sort of assess the position um, that you reach a point where you made the decision to move on? Well, it's easier to do that if you uh, have an idea at the very beginning of what it is that you want. And that's not something that I figured out in the very earliest parts of my career. Your decisions get driven differently when you're I'm just trying to, you know, feed kids and and make your mortgage payment and and all that. But at some point in your career, as soon as you can lift your head up above the fray, uh, or as soon as I could, uh, it occurred to me that if I was going to have a fulfilling career, that I needed to be pretty thoughtful about what it is I was trying to achieve long term for sure, although long term can be pretty abstract but like short term, what is it that I want to learn right now? And at different points in my career, it could have been technical depth or it could have been uh, an understanding of the world and how the world works, either industry. So how do governments work or how does the healthcare industry work? Or it could have been an internal function like, I, gosh, I really would love to learn you know, the, it, the transition from engineering roles or technical roles into sales roles was because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I would love to figure out how big deals get made. Like I'm, I'm the engineer sitting in the room trying to show people how technology works. And there are these salespeople who are actually inking deals. What's that all about? So, you know, or corporate strategy or, you know, built partner ecosystems. I've done a lot of different things across the tech industry. And, um, and it's because um, for many roles, there were particular things I wanted to learn how to do. And so when you do that, it, I mean, the permission you give yourself is to say, well, I don't need this job to be perfect. I don't need it to also pay me a lot more money and also give me a lot more visibility and also give me a promotion. Those things are great, but um, but really I'm all right as long as it gives me this thing that I'm this competency that I'm trying to build for myself. Now the flip side of that is that when the competency is built, then you have a decision to make around. Well, okay, I learned how to do that. Now, why am I here? And so often what would happen is that I would, after, you know, two or three or five years, depending on what it was I was trying to learn, it just became time to do the next thing because I had known all along what it is I was trying to do. It's a little harder to reverse engineer that. You know, if you've been in a job, you don't know why you're there and you wake up one day, seven or eight years into it and wonder why you're there. 
um, yeah, that's a little bit harder. So hopefully you know, people can think about that in the front end, but that's you know, basically the philosophy that, you know, just be thoughtful about what you're trying to get out of each position so that you can work on that and then know when you, you have gotten it so that you can understand when it might be time for you to move on. Yes, no, that makes sense. Definitely. Um, and in terms of the cybersecurity aspects, have you moved away from that completely now? Oh, well, I mean, from a work perspective, Yes, I don't work in that field. Do I uh, keep up with the industry? Yes, I can't help myself. <laughs> so um, <laughs> right. it's never stopped being just the most fascinating uh, space to be in. So Good. Okay. So Jennifer, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? Well, there's, a, there's kind of a two-part piece of advice that I often like to give. And so part one, and this, this might apply to, I don't know, I, I often give this piece of advice or have given it to people who are earlier in career or have just joined a big company, whether it was joining Microsoft or Intel or, or you know, Symantec is a big company. Um, it's this notion that you always need to find your unique value in, in every interaction that you are in. And there's a reason why you do that. But, but what I mean is that, you know, it's so easy when you are in these hierarchical organizations to let your value be defined by others. And that's just a function of the design of an organization because we have managers and we have peers and we get feedback and our promotions or bonuses are based on that. And so if somebody says, hey, you're a good you're good at Python or you're good at running a you know team or you're good at whatever, then you decide that's what you're good at and you decide that's what your value is, which is fine. But it, it, it you ought to really be very in control of your own view of your value. And that could be, you know, in every meeting that you're in and every one-on-one and every hallway chat, always just being aware of in every given environment, what's the unique value you bring. And sometimes it's, you know, it's just being the convener of the conversation. Sometimes it's a particular skill or piece of knowledge you have. Sometimes it's your communication ability and your ability to lead the conversation. It could be a lot of different things. Um, but the practice of that sort of mental process allows you to be very articulate about the value you bring to organizations, which is what allows you to talk about yourself in a very truthful way in your own conversation around, well, what is it that I want to learn? Because I'm very aware of the value I bring, but also when you're looking for jobs or, you know, networking that you can describe to others why you're valuable. So that's part one of the piece of advice that there's a mental discipline that I highly encourage people to undertake. So they always define value, their value on their own terms, and that it's an ongoing practice. The other side of it is understanding that in this world, given how fast everything changes. Technology changes fast, for sure. Organizational design changes fast, but industries are changing fast. The world's changing fast. It really um, matters less what you have done, right? When the world is going to change so drastically, it matters a lot more what you can do, but we still are a little bit stuck in the mindset of defining ourselves based on, on what we've proven we can do as opposed to our potential. So if you really are looking at your value, think about your potential and and, uh, and use those terms. Yes. So so presumably that that's a skill that, that develops as well. It's something you become more self-aware of as you do it. Well, I hope so. Yeah. And it, but it's a, it's a permission thing as well. There's a bit of a mindset. Um, 
so yeah, practicing, obviously, any, anything you practice well, you'll get better at, but it is a bit of a mindset to say, uh, you know, I think I could be good at something. Look, I, I, was good at, I was good at these five things. So it follows that I might also be good at, you know, something else similar. Yeah. I mean, and talking about those sort of conversations where there's sort of an expectation within an organization of what you, you add, um, how would you tackle that? Because obviously there, there are, as I say, there's sort of an expectation that you will contribute a certain aspect or element to, to a problem, for example. So the, here, I'll, I'll give it to you um, in the scenario of an interview. Uh, and I've inter- I mean, I don't know how many people I've interviewed and hired in my career, but there are a lot. Um, or, and then if you add on all the times that you've been in an interview panel for, you know, your peer is hiring somebody and they want you to interview them as well. I mean, it just gets to be, you know, almost o- overwhelming how many um, people that you talk to all the time. And, and so you kind of get good at hearing for, we're listening for potential. And the way it often comes across is that, You'll ask somebody, well, tell me about your last job, right? You, have, you ask these big open-ended questions oftentimes. You're trying to sort out skills and experience. Uh, but there's something unique that some people add to this conversation where they will say, well, in my last job, I was on a team and we were developing this version of a product and blah, blah, blah. And we were doing research and I did that, you know, for a couple of years. And then they, you know, talk about some other experience they had. And then they do this thing where like, so what I really think... But what I really think I was doing was X. Like what I really learned was um, I, I, it wasn't just, it was, you know, data analytics. I actually learned analysis or either some bigger lesson. There's some extrapolation of wisdom or insight that they just talk about. And they talk about it effortlessly because it's kind of been what's on their mind. Like they've been watching it unfold in their own careers. Like, you know what? I'm actually getting really good at math or, oh, I'm really getting good at blah, blah, blah. They talk about that. And they say, and so actually then in a later project, I decided that what I really wanted to do was why. And it's a way that people talk about themselves where they're, they're, they clearly have insight into how whatever they did deliver to them some piece of wisdom that they didn't have before or some kind of experience. They have an ability to self-reflect. And then they talk about that awareness driving other decisions about what they became interested in. So then I started learning about healthcare and I figured out that those systems are really interesting because there's this federated identity thing and then blah, blah, blah. And then I started learning about blah. And, you know, you, you want that kind of inquisitive mind because those are people who are thinking very forward thinking and that's potential. Right. Then I'm like, oh, you're, you're, you know, that's a game changer for me when I hear that conversation. Okay. So Jennifer, can you tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? I mean, the problem is that they all blur together. (laughs) So I, I, I want to say that the worst moments are the anxiety moments you know, they're the ones where uh, early in career where things didn't work. You know, because tech tech can be uh, an anxiety invoking uh, field to be in because you are held to a standard of like it. You know, all well and good, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And there were you know countless demos or implementations um, where you know you hit the button or you do something or the drop down field doesn't work or the screen is black or, or whatever and all those things. I think that just gave me permanent PTSD those years of my career. 
um, the terrible careers. So, I mean, maybe that, but you know, in the end, um, I think maybe the more abstractly, the, the worst it moments were maybe the jobs I didn't take the projects I didn't take on the times I didn't lean in and, you know, should have taken on something I didn't. I was afraid of failure. Yeah. Yeah. So presumably that that's something you you're aware of now or conscious of, and then you look for every opportunity that you can. Yeah, you get good at. Um, I mean, you get more comfortable with not being the smartest person in the room. You get more comfortable with failure over time, and so um, these don't. And I think that's just a a lesson of when you failed in the past. If something that terrible thing that you thought was going to happen didn't happen, then you eventually learn that failure is you know kind of expected, a particular in this industry. Yes, indeed. Yes. And I think that there's often you hear people talk about when those things occur, think, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Um, and that actually, when you do take that step, you find it's not nearly as bad as you may have thought. Yes, exactly. Hopefully. Yes. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and Jennifer, can you tell us about your career highlight? Oh, boy. You know, I... I want to say there may be two, well, I don't know if I can pick one was just that, that move into um, that chief security role, chief security officer role at Microsoft, being able to take my pretty U S centric view of technology, cybersecurity, what's important, you know, because underneath cybersecurity, it's, um, you know, it's a notion of privacy and who's entitled to how much privacy and, you know, government's role in protecting citizens and allowing for, you know, levels of freedom allowed, um, you know, to internet service providers and other tech platforms, you know, all that's all very US centric. And when you move overseas, you start to work in countries like Asia or, or through Western Europe and Eastern Europe, it's an eye-opening experience that there is a lot of kind of cultural relativism that as a U.S. tech provider, you can um, unknowingly overlay um, in, on top of your view of tech overall. Like, you know, not, not every country has the same cultural values and that shows up in tech. That was probably the biggest um, learning opportunity for me, a most humbling opportunity for me uh, in my career. Not to mention the extraordinary talent and sophistication. While the U.S. may you know, for all sorts of economic or market reasons, we dominating in the tech space. That doesn't mean that we have the smartest people here by any stretch of the imagination. And you learn that when you're overseas. So I think that maybe was my biggest highlight. Good. Okay. And Jennifer, what excites you about the future of the industry and careers in IT? Because everything is possible. The great thing about technology now is that it is no longer tethered to this traditional notion of the IT domain. And it's, you know, there's a saying that we're all, no matter what our personal success or achievement, we're all only just standing on the shoulders of the people who came before us. And in the tech industry, I feel like that's extraordinarily true because for 30 or 40 years, people have been in the back office of every company building the infrastructure and it wasn't, wasn't fun, right? It was networking. It was, you know, we talked about storage systems and, you know, virtualizing stuff and, you know, um, you know, memory and, and, you know, data management strategies and, and things that look, I mean, if you love technology, you love that stuff, 
but you know, it made us sort of obscure for a really long time, but that was the infrastructure. It's like laying roads or building train tracks. You know, it's hard work, but if you don't do that, then nothing else great happens. And we've kind of arrived in a place now where, uh, where technology is infused into lines of business. So now all of a sudden everybody has to, it's not good enough to just know technology. You actually, are you going to apply it to healthcare? Well, you got to understand healthcare. Are you going to apply it to education? Are you going to apply it to manufacturing, to retail, to whatever it is, you get to technology now gets to intersect with the world in a way that it didn't before by virtue of all the work that went before. But what that means now is that it, the, everything is possible. So whatever it is you want to do with your life, whatever your hobbies are, whatever your passions are, if you are, you have a technical background or have the uh, interest in acquiring a technical background, you can apply that to pretty much anything that you already love in this world. And I, I just think that's a phenomenal opportunity for, for all of us. Yes, it is. Uh, and I think you made a good point about the fact that, that yeah, there's been a, like an evolution really, hasn't there, of, of uh, technology and when, to where we are now. I, I presume from, from what you're saying, you can see that continuing. Oh, I think it's absolutely endless and exponential as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, We're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? I hope so. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Money. Right. No, really, it was money. I was in in nonprofit. I was in the nonprofit social services sector. I've been living overseas with my husband. I had two small kids. We moved back to D.C. We lost all of our government-provided housing benefits. I couldn't find a job in the nonprofit sector that made any money. It was the late 90s. And um, and tech paid. So I yep. made a very practical decision and said, you know what? And um, this is three times more I can make in being a social worker, so I will do it. Now, did I later fall in love with it and, and you know, find purpose and value in it? Yes. But to be brutally honest, I made that decision because of money. Yeah. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Be special. What I mean by that is that if you want to, if you want to build a career uh, and build value and move up the ladder, um, it will work better if you find opportunities where your skills are unique. And that was a piece of advice given to me when I was at um, Intel had acquired McAfee. I at that point was a senior director, kind of at that level. And I couldn't figure out how to break through. I wanted more. I wanted to do more. And I had a mentor uh, who said, look, um, you're trying to be special in a group of people who have exactly the same background as you. If you want to go do something special, go find a company that doesn't have a lot of cybersecurity people and work there. And I did. Yes. And it worked. Yep. Now that makes sense. And presumably that that applies as well if you're independent, if you're a a consultant as well. If you want to be known for something, you you have to identify what that is and and build on that. And it doesn't have to be wildly different. It can just be incrementally different. You just want to you know to reduce the number of people who are like you. I mean, you know, being a complete snowflake, we see this in the tech startup space doesn't always work either. So I suppose there's an argument for, you know, being different without being too, too different. But but for sure, this notion of being special has um, 
I think it's uh, been a great strategy. Yeah. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Well, probably the times when people advise me not to take on a new job or to move into some other field that would be easier for me, perceived to be easier for me, less risk. Uh, I feel like I've not ever taken that advice, but it's always really felt very insulting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everybody wants you to take a step back or somehow they perceive that you don't, you're not up for the challenge. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so. I mean, that, that's interesting because I, I mean, I get, the, I get the impression that when people give you that sort of advice, they're, they're trying to put themselves in your position with their own values and not with yours. And therefore they will come up with a different answer. You're probably right. You know, and that, that's an argument for, uh, for just being um, understanding in those conversations maybe, but uh, mm-hmm. good point. Anyway, I don't like that advice. I have never liked that advice. So I would put it in my bucket of worst advice. If you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? I think I would, well, I would focus on data for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, what, what I, what I would always be doing, regardless of the, you know, if you asked me that question in 2009 or 2021 or 2030, I think the underlying framework for the decision would remain the same, which is that where is there the most untapped potential for great and hopefully positive impact on the world? And I think so it, through that lens right now, I think it's data for someone who's entering, like if, if you're, you've been doing this for a really long time and you want to go, maybe I would say, well, go study quantum computing or go, you know, go do something else, go look at, you know, blockchain technologies. But if you're just entering, I would say data because there's so much untapped potential and uh, it's such a great way to get valuable quickly. Yes. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Well, I'm focusing on giving back. So I have been talking about all of the fabulous things that technology can do for several decades. And that is just a function of working in the tech industry when you're trying to convince your clients or customers that they ought to use technology, even though they're not sure why. So you're talking about what, all the good things that it can do. And the reckoning after those years is that while there are all sorts of amazing things that technology can do and problems in the world that technology can and has fixed. There are also some unintended consequences to technology that have very human impact around a digital divide that gets created when there are people who will not have the tech skills that they need to survive in a world that's going to be pretty much entirely digital in the next decade. So, uh, I think it's important that we think about how we get everybody uh, in a position where if they so choose, they can cross that chasm. And there are a lot of little problems to unpack along the way. Um, the big elephant in the room uh, is that a lot of people don't like tech. They think it's boring or they don't think they can. So you got to solve that problem. And then you have to solve access problems. And then you have to solve the problem of, you know, how do you translate technical skills so that people can take non-traditional forms of education and still convince employers that they have the necessary skills uh, that are needed by a company. There's all sorts of problems there, but um, but it's this big um, 
complex universe um, that has a lot of potential impact. And I'm just fascinated by that. And so that's um, all of my effort is um, aligned to right now. What's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? You know, I have to say it's empathy. And I, I want to say that in a humble way, because I don't, I don't want to suggest that I am the most empathic person out there. But I think it's empathy. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, we talk about this technology adoption, right? People, you know, the world is waking up to all the different ways that it can use technology, that it can become digitized in order to be better than it is today. But you can't have that conversation with somebody else if you can't stand in their shoes. There is a fine line between being humble and being arrogant when you're trying to talk about technology. And humility comes from, I put my own ego aside long enough and my own judgment aside long enough to try to see the world from your perspective. And not only is it the right and respectful thing to do, it also gives me a much better opportunity to figure out how specifically technology can solve a problem because that's what we're doing right now. We're not, we're out of the back office and now we're into line of business and, and we're going to use technology to solve real world problems. Well, I better understand that problem first. How do I do that? I have empathy. Yep. Okay. And Jennifer, what do you do to keep your own career energized? I think that I'm going to say two things. Number one, I'm a huge advocate of learning, uh, I think, and some of that's frankly just because I, um, you know, there's an insecurity that you can have. A lot of tech people have because there's so much to know all the time and we don't ever know enough of it. And so it makes me feel better every day if I'm always trying to keep up with things and learn yeah. uh, what's going on in the world and, and all that. So there's part of it's a, kind of a, the, the lifelong learning journey that I take pretty seriously. And then, um, you know, I'm an outdoors person. I love to be uh, under an open sky. So I do a lot of hiking and trail running and um, just anything that's outside. So I definitely have, a, um, you know, hobbies that have zero to do, completely off the grid, completely offline, no computers, no right. phones. I'm pretty good at turning off my phone. I don't wear a watch. I, uh, I put it all away and get very far away from it every single day. Good. Well, you preempted the next question. I was going to ask you what you do in your spare time away from technology. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I um, <laughs> if it's sunny, I'm outside. Brilliant. Okay. And Jennifer, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? Uh, I would say balance your learning with learning technology and learning the world. Or the, the part of the world that you're interested in. Um, I think that makes you incredibly effective as a technologist to not only understand the tools that need are needed to solve the problem, but understanding the problem, as it were, itself. Yes. Jennifer, how can we find out more about you and connect with you? You know, I mean, I have a website, um, but I LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. I think you can see my webcast or my website off of LinkedIn. There's a little form if you want to reach out that way. But, uh, but I, I check LinkedIn. I try to respond to messages. Um, I don't do a perfect job with that, but I do try and, uh, and I'm pretty good at posting what I'm doing there. So probably the best way 
to see what I'm up to and, and please reach out. I'd love to have uh, interesting conversations about all this uh, skills and careers and tech. And um, so happy to talk to anyone who wants to talk. Okay. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you, Phil. Hi, Phil here again. Just a final few words from me. Firstly, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their career tips, experiences and insights with us on the show today. As you probably know, there have been more than 200 guests on the show so far, and I'm continuing to try to attract new guests that can provide great insights to all of us. However, to enable me to do this, I need to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and reach an extended audience. And you can help me in doing this by subscribing to the show and providing a rating and review in whichever platform you listen to. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.